Welcome to the SBCA Podcast, Component Connection. Looking at how businesses around the country are innovating to take advantage of opportunities in the construction supply chain. Now, here's your host, Sean Shields. Well, welcome everyone. On today's podcast brought to you by the Structural Building Components Association, we are going to talk about vertical integration. Now, we've touched upon this topic a bit this year, but there's a lot more to explore. So on the podcast today, we're going to be joined by Blake and Pat Schweeters of JL Schweeters Construction near St. Paul, Minnesota. Blake and Pat, welcome to the podcast. Hey, good morning, Sean. Thanks for having us. We're excited to be here. Thanks, Sean. Longtime listener here. Oh, excellent. Okay, so we have done a few presentations together. So we, we know each other well. We've we've talked about this topic quite a bit. Uh, we also did an article in November, December issue of SPCA magazine. And But for those of you who haven't listened to some of those talks in the past or haven't read the articles, I'm hoping uh, you can tell those listeners a little bit about origins of JL Schweeters and what led you to becoming the integrated contractor that you are today. Yeah, sure. Well, I guess, uh, Sean, you know, we started back in uh, 1980 as a as a framing labor contractor, meaning we just did uh, labor that was uh, materials were supplied by by others and for builders um, in the past. And we started to to uh, think about labor as a whole and how we could make it simplified. Mm-hmm. And bit by bit, we kind of just started chipping off um, and bringing things in house. And I guess uh, where we're sitting today, we're encompassing of a, of a full lumber yard and a component manufacturer that includes uh, wall panels, floor panels, roof and floor trusses and, and miscellaneous components. Wow. Okay. Do you guys do design as well? We do. We bring everything in-house. Okay. Um, our, we do everything in-house from design um, to, the, uh, to the shipping, to the, to the receiving. Everything comes in, uh, under one roof. Okay. So who's your, a majority of your clients? So is, is it multifamily, single family, track, custom... Yeah, we actually work for everybody, uh, Sean. Uh, we, we do a lot of production building on the residential single family, okay. uh, the national builders and stuff, where we get the, the manufacturing process gets streamlined. Um, but we also do large multifamily commercial, you know, five, five-story wood-framed apartments, um, as well as a big part of our business are our roll homes or townhomes for, for builders as well. Okay. So if you're a jack-of-all-trades, then you're, you, don't, you don't leave any project behind. We try not to, Sean. So I'm also curious, uh, just to give a sense of scope, like on the production side of things, how many how many employees do you have in all of your production facilities? You know, we run about about 120 employees in our production facilities. We're uh, company wide. We're a little over 350 employees. That's including our carpenters in the field. Um, you know, our design staff, our sh- uh, shipping, receiving, trucking, all of that type of. Uh, it includes all of that. Okay. And do you, do you operate all of that out of one location or do you have several? Yeah, we pr- predominantly, we have one central location just northeast of St. Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have two satellite offices, um, one in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, and one in a smaller northwestern suburb of the Twin Cities metropolitan area. But our, um, our home base is where all of our manufacturing um, is based out of. Okay. With uh, how you started, I mean, you talked about how you started as a small, you know, framing contractor, and then you you added the slew of all the products. And I want to unpack that a little bit, because I, I think that's what I really want to focus on in this first podcast here. You guys started out 
doing stairs, right? And moving the cutting and measuring creation of the stair units, you know, from a framing contractor's point of view, what's the value in moving that particular framing task offsite? Why'd you start there? Sure, Sean. So the thought here is, is that on a stick built site, the stairs are take the most skill and typically the foreman is the one doing it. So having these pre-built freed up the foreman to be able to direct production on the site instead of calculating rise runs or cutting in a set of stairs. Um, we believe the manufactured product is also higher quality. When done with a CNC router, you have a higher degree of accuracy. You don't overcut and you can get two stringers out of one piece of LSL with virtually no waste. Mm. So what I'm hearing you say is essentially you're looking at what is the most labor intensive and not only from a time perspective, but also from a, an expertise perspective. And how do you move that somewhere else? And, and so maybe that's where, you know, the machinery initially brought you the, the biggest return, right? Because it was freeing up the most experienced, most veteran framers on the job site to do the thing that you really needed them to do, which was supervise everybody else. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. So like you'd imagine that part of that foreman is designing that set of stairs and we're bringing that into an office location and then we're building it in a controlled environment, which is, you know, our shop here in Hugo. Um, so, yeah, you're hitting all of those things. Mm -hmm. So you do the stair units. Uh, obviously, that was a successful endeavor for you guys. You liked what you were seeing both from the quality and from, uh, I, I wouldn't imagine, sort of a cycle time, and you're getting good feedback from the field. So then you decided to expand and add wall panels. That, that's a big step, I mean, honestly, to move from just a, a single unit to like starting to do you know, all of your exterior walls being framed in a manufacturing facility. I love to ask this of you guys, and framers in general, just because it's often the framers who create sort of a, a big barrier for the entry of wall panels in a market. So I'm curious if you can talk briefly about what your motivation for moving wall panel construction offsite, and if if the, the original motivations for doing that still ring true today for you guys. Yeah, you know, I think we saw the success, Sean, um, with, with moving stairs offsite, and it's like such a you know, such a normal part of every job. We brought it offsite, um, kind of simplified it a little bit and, you know, lessened the, the constriction on the site. And we thought, what, what's the next thing that we could do? Because we realized this was making it easier for our carpenters out on the site. And we're like, these guys are, um, when they're stick framing, they're bending over all day. It's hard on their bodies. And, and, you know, our original motivation was the, the theory of work smarter, not harder. Let's, let's keep our employees from burning out. Let them, let them be employees longer. Let them enjoy their jobs longer. Um, and once we started dabbling in it, we realized there's just more to go with that. Um, and when we see, you know, when we say, do, do those reasons still ring true today? What I would tell you is, is just with the labor constraints, it's actually doubled down on that. You know, yeah. we've, we've got to shorten cycle times. And if we can make it easier, um, build more with less people out in the field, that's a bonus. And, and we've definitely seen that. So I'm curious when you, as a, as a, again, a framing contractor approached the idea of creating wall panels, was the idea to just perfectly replicate what you had been doing in the field, just doing it sort of vertically, or I guess, horizontally, um, in a manufacturing facility, or were you looking at how do we, how do we take some of these studs out? How do we rearrange some of this stuff to make it easier, lighter, that kind of thing? I mean, did you go through that process at all? 
You know, initially, Sean, what we did is, is we were we were trying to replicate what we were doing in the field. And I guess I can I can honestly remember the first site that we did it on. And, um, you know, we went out there, snapped lines out, got everything kind of laid out how we would do it in the field. Um, and we just wanted to bring it off site, replicate it and then bring it back out there. That was our initial test run. As time went on, that's where we started to get into and said, okay, now we've got this, this design software. We're going through that. Can, can we, you know, can we value engineer? Can we take some studs out here? Can we put blocking right in the wall? So it's once we set the, the wall in place, all of the items are, are there. So, you know, our initial, our initial thought was is to replicate what we were doing in the field, but that quickly changed and how can we improve the process and what more can we do? Um, that and bring it back out to the site. So you did wall panels, had some success with that over time. So eventually you guys added a a floor truss line. And really before the floor trusses, I mean, you guys did floor panels. Now, some of our listeners might not be familiar with what floor panels are. Can you describe a little bit about what your floor panels are and then how you use them? Yeah. So floor panels or, you know, some is of our peers in the industry will for, refer to them as floor cassettes. Mm-hmm. Essentially, you're cutting up a floor system into sizes that you can load on a truck and ship to site. Uh, the basic assembly is floor trusses, strong backs, ribbons, and subfloor sheeting. Ours is typically more complex than that, and we really believe in this theory of set it and forget it, um, where the intention is, is that the framer isn't coming back and installing any blocking, hangers, beams, clips, all of that is included in the floor panel assembly. So, I mean, that forces you guys to really think through that whole floor layout as a framer ahead of time. And then as you're assembling that in your manufacturing facility, you have notations of where all that stuff goes. So you don't just have like the orientation and the location of the the floor joists. It's everything that goes into that floor system from a framer's perspective. Right. It's very much a similar methodology that we did with wall panels. It's like on day one, you start by replicating exactly the minimum viable product out in the field. And then just over time, it's how can we stuff more things into these floor panels such that the framer has to do less and less and less with the floor system? What was the motivation there to do the panels? I mean, what what was the decision making process there? Was it just because you were, had already panelized the walls? Why not panelize the floors? Or, or what, was, what was the motivation there? So when we first started getting into floor panels, um, it was in 2017. And we were at the point where our wall panel package was really, really fleshed out. We were basically building every single wall panel in most jobs. And, you know, we were still really struggling to add field labor in the field. So, um we wanted to reduce cycle time so we could build more houses. And the next logical place to go was the floor system. So the number one uh, motivator was cycle time. Um, we we saw dramatic reductions in cycle times on townhomes. We went from two to three day cycle times to about an hour and a half. And quickly after that, we realized that fall protection was also a big benefit of doing floor panels. I'd like to add the, the, the fall protection or the safety was um, one thing that kind of came um, not out of the dark. We, we realized it would be a part of it, but it became very much a collateral benefit. Mm. Um, and we were able to kind of take that. I mean, we're, we're big on fall protection and, and through the floor panels, 
Um, this allowed us, the designers, to put right into the floor panels where we would have immediate tie-offs for our carpenters. And, you know, we were meeting all the requirements from OSHA. So something that we thought was, um, you know, yeah, it's a little bit of a benefit, ended up turning out to be, you know, a pretty significant benefit and, and allowed us to just keep plowing forward. That's amazing. I mean, it's it's one of those things where I, I'm not sure our industry in general thinks about that enough. Uh, but that's certainly something that they should add to some of our marketing materials, right? <laughs> like the messaging that we use to like, what, what are the benefits? Okay, so you did floor panels, and then you finally added a roof trusses, uh, a roof truss line. So talk to me about like, okay, so obviously, up to this point, you guys had been still installing other people's roof trusses. Why did you add roof trusses? And so what's the benefit to you now that you provide all of the structural components? Right. So we like the term controlling our destiny. And with labor and utmost concern since day one, you always want to be in control of the product being sent to site, um, when it's arriving, how it's arriving, how it's sequenced. And when outsourcing our trusses, we found that even our best suppliers could be caught off guard by a customer changing production order. And we were really at the mercy of their out times um, and what they found valuable in terms of their production processes. And at the end of the day, this meant that our framers were at risk of sitting with nothing to do. And, you know, in a post-recession market, it's a cardinal sin to have uh, field labor available with no work in front of them. So another side benefit we found that when we brought these under these roof trusses under house, we were able to capitalize on the feedback we had gotten from the framers on how to design, build, and deliver them. So not only are we delivering them on time to ensure that we're not interrupting uh, the field framing process, but we're also sequencing them in a way that the framers want to see them. We're designing them in the way that they want to see them and all those other benefits. Hey, Sean, just to just to uh, piggyback a little bit on what Blake had said, you know, with with production changes um, constantly, when we were outsourcing it, you know, Blake mentioned that, um, you know, you could throw a little a little burn somebody's saddle by changing the production. By having it in-house, we can literally do it, uh, you know, a night shift to the next morning shift. If one crew has a little bit better of a day um, that we can move around our production, that helps our field continue to move. And as a company, we're working in the most efficient manner. Right. So, I mean, essentially what you're saying is by controlling all the pieces, you're, you're really, you know, having all of that integrated into one scheduling system, you know, one company, you guys can really schedule all that stuff out so that you're continually feeding your field labor, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we don't like doing it uh, in manufacturing, um, but we can pretty much change the entire course of production three days out, we can swap a house for a house, a town for a town home. Um, and we do it pretty frequently. It allows us to be very flexible for our customers. All right. So I wanted to walk through that mostly because I, I hopefully what some of our listeners found interesting in that is that you approached uh, component manufacturing offsite uh, production in the exact opposite direction that most component manufacturers add products. Most component manufacturers, independent component manufacturers, will start by producing roof trusses, and then they may add floor trusses, and then they may add walls. And then if that panelization of the walls goes well, uh, they may consider getting into floor panelization. And then this idea of, of having sort of pre-manufactured uh, stair components uh, might be, you know, and other kinds of subcomponents may be um, 
one of the last things that they they add. Now, obviously, everybody goes through that progression slightly differently, but that seems to be more akin to uh, the natural progression for the component manufacturer. So I'm just, I wanted to reflect on that because as you guys talked through all of uh, the additions of the different products, you really talked about it from the framer's motivation. Why, why did it make sense to start with that subcomponent and move backwards? I want to close with having you guys just give a little perspective of like, how in your mind, now that you've you've done both sides of the equation, is are things different because you approach them from a framer's perspective? Yeah, Sean, I think, you know, initially by starting kind of, I mean, like we talked about a little bit, a little bit backwards, you know, we looked at how could we make the biggest impact, right? We're always talking about, um, you know, making it more efficient um, for our framers, making it easier on their body, making the job site safer, um, you know, building the houses quicker. And it was the, the, the quickest way we could make an impact. And then we kind of just continued to add toward that. Yeah. And in many ways, again, you're, you're thinking about what's happening on the job site first and foremost, um, and then feeding everything from there. You know, I think a big part of this is taking these things, um, very small steps. And then the, the sum of all those small steps result in a really, really big package. Like, the way we think about it is what can we do today to benefit the framer tomorrow? So if you look at all the decisions we were doing, there was no master plan of looking at the market and saying, what does the Minnesota market bear for floor panel production or where does it bear for floor truss production or whatever like that? Um, you know, we just looked at every single day, you know, how do we improve the framing on site? Excellent. Well, Pat and Blake, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having us, Sean. Yeah, thank you, Sean. All right. Well, if you've enjoyed what you've heard, please give this podcast a favorable rating and share it with others. Also, consider subscribing to SPCA's Component Connection podcast on whatever platform you use most. That way, you'll immediately know when we publish our next podcast. Speaking of the next podcast... Blake, Pat, and I are going to continue our discussion on how JL Schweders uses its field labor to conduct research and development on new products, as well as how they are expanding their business to independent framers. This has been a Component Connection podcast brought to you by SBCA. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover in a future episode, send it to podcast at sbcacomponents.com.